Good afternoon. How y'all doing? Are you guys uh, excited that uh, uh, that uh, spring break is over and kids can go back to school? Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I um, I want to welcome everyone. If uh, if this is your first time here with us, we want to welcome you. Make sure that you uh, fill that little uh, connection card behind uh, the chair, and uh, we want to properly welcome you and talk to you. But, uh, you know, we've been in the book of John for the past few weeks, and this book is just uh, an amazing book. And I believe that we can spend, we can spend a whole year or even two years studying this book. It it is just amazing. It is just great. And uh, as we read, uh, we can understand that this uh, it's been a long journey for Jesus. As at this point, March just a few days before he gives his life for us. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 13. So if you want to follow in, in your app, you can do that or in your Bible. And if you want to understand all that happened, the final days of Jesus, you have to read all the Gospels to fill in the, the little gaps in the, in the details Because some things can be lost if you just read one gospel. Um, You know, the events of the Passion Week started on a Sunday when Jesus enters Jerusalem riding in the donkey. And this event is recorded in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke, and in John. Then on Monday, Jesus curses the fig tree recorded in Matthew, Mark, and those two books of the gospels. Also that day, Another event that happened is that Jesus cleanses the temple. And we read that in Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19. Tuesday, Jesus' authority is put into question as he teaches in the temple. And we read that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then Jesus also predicts that that day the destruction of the temple and his return. And we read that in Matthew in uh, uh, Mark and in Luke. And on Wednesday, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. And that is recorded in Matthew 26, in Mark 14, and in Luke 22. Then we get to Thursday. And Jesus eats that last supper and washes the disciples' feet. These last events are recorded only in John. But then all the Gospels identify Judas as the betrayer. And also all Gospels talked about Peter's denial. You know, many people, I have talked to several people. And many people uh, that don't believe in the Bible or whatever. They say that the Gospels contradict each other. But I will say that they complement each other. Because you find things in each Gospel to fill in the little gaps in the details. And in today's teaching, we are going to see that we are called to be servants. I like to call it servant leaders. We live in a culture that constantly, constantly encourages us to look out for number one. To put ourselves first and do whatever it takes to, go, to get ahead. We value the idea of self-made person. We like to think that we are self-sufficient. And that we don't need to the, the service uh, of others 
or to others. And we forget a lot of times the words of Jesus when, when Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, that just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life and ransom for many. And if we are followers of Jesus Christ, he is asking us to be servants, to serve each other. In our passage today, we are going to talk about how Jesus shows us the extent of his love. Not with words, but with actions. We also will be talking of two kinds of people that we encounter in our walk with Christ. Now, there's so much going on at this time in that part of, of scriptures. There's so much going on in those last days of Jesus here on earth. It's been a long day in Jerusalem. And the town is packed with people from all over the place for the Passover meal. And many people are there for the Passover meal. But also they want to get a glimpse of the teacher. They want to get a glimpse of Jesus. I can just imagine. I wish one of my things in my bucket list is to go to, the, to Israel. To go and visit. To walk where Jesus walked. But I just imagined, you know, the sun of that day is warm. The streets are dry and congested with people and vendors trying to sell all they can for the Passover meal. The disciples are far away from home. And after they prepare the room where the meal is going to take place, the disciples enter one by one in that upper room. And it's in that place where Jesus shows the extent of his love by praying for the disciples and us. Let's read uh, there in, 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 uh, in John 13, 1, 1 uh, and 2. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other translations, it says that he showed them the full extent of his love. How do you know when someone loves you? What things make you think, you know, wow, that person really loves me? Have you ever noticed how we have minimized the word love? You know, sometimes we, you know... If I was talking to my daughter and she's going to have dessert, she would say, I love ice cream. Or, or, or if, you go, if you go to the store, you will see a dress like, oh, I love that dress. Some of us, you know, I don't know if you saw Pastor Joe's The Big Pizza on Facebook, love pizza. You know, and, and I think that we have minimized the meaning of the word love. And even though I say I love you to my wife every day. Or I text her and I say, I love you. And I put a heart emoji and a smiley face and whatever. You know, sometimes I cheesy like that. <laughs> but, you know, how do we tell people that we love them? We have to show with actions, not just words. We want to show people that we love them. I know that someone said, I, I heard this so many times and probably you have too. You heard said, Actions speak what? Louder than words. 
actions speak louder than words. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus did, uh, did show us the fullness of his love, not just with words, but with actions. Even today, he still does. Now, I don't know if you've heard, I, I, I do some premarital counseling, and I've been doing some premarital counseling with a couple here in our church, and we're going through the love languages. Have you heard of that, the love languages? If you heard the love languages, this book that uh, sparked the new way of thinking about love. It's called The Five Love Languages, uh, written by Dr. Gary Chapman. And it was written in 1995, but it has gotten very popular lately. A lot of people are using this book. The love languages describe the way we feel loved and appreciated, depending on our individual personality types. We may feel loved differently than, our, than how our partner do. According to Dr. Chapman, there are five love languages. And let me tell you a little bit about them. And guys, you better pay attention to this. <laughs> First of all, words of affirmation. This language uses words of affir to affirm other people. And Jesus shows words of affirmation by stating his love for people. There in John 59, he says that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Actually, this words of affirmation is my love language. It's my love language. So after service, even if I didn't do a good job, you just tell me you did a good job preaching. <laughs> because that's my love language and it's going to encourage me. Sometimes when my wife, you know, tells me, honey, you're the man. I said, yeah, honey, I'm the man. <laughs> you know, because that is my love language. Also, we have acts of service. For these people, actions speak louder than words. And Jesus shows acts of service by putting others first. And the passage that we're going to be reading today, well, he washed the disciples' feet. Another one is receiving gifts. For some people, what makes them feel most loved is to receive a gift. Jesus gave gifts of healing to those who desperately needed it. And he gave us the gift of eternal life. And when we get baptized, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And actually, this is my second love language. So if you want to show me also that you appreciate me, I accept gifts all the time. We also have quality time. This language is all about giving the other person your undivided attention. And Jesus showed this love by spending time with people, especially with his disciples. You see that even Jesus, as he was with the crowds and spending time with them, he chose three guys that he spent a little bit more time with them, with Peter, John, and Andrew. Actually, this quality time gift is uh, my wife's love language. So sometimes, even when I don't want to, I sit in the couch watching a girly movie, holding her. And that's how she feels loved. Physical touch. To this person, nothing speaks more deeply than physical touch. And Jesus showed his love by touching lepers who were deemed untouchable and unclean. So, Jesus shows, showed and showed us 
love to all of us in every way. In every way. But let's continue to the passage. So you guys, I hope you took notes because this is when you hear your wife tell you that her love tank is empty, you got to fill it up with one of those types of love. Let's continue in the passage. In verse 1, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And what follows in verse 1 to 11 demonstrates Jesus' complete love. He loved his disciples, even knowing that one will betray him, and another one was going to deny him, and the rest will desert him for a time. Jesus knew that he had to leave his disciples and that he will be, the, 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 the disciples will be struggling, staying here in this world. And so he prayed for them. And later on, as, uh, and we're going to be in the, uh, that passage later on in, in, in the next weeks. John 17, 11 says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protected by the power of your name. The name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus show, Jesus, Jesus demonstrates his love with words and actions. He pleaded the Father for them, but also for us, because we are his. We belong to him. Look in there, verse 2. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. See, Judas already sealed the deal by this point with the priest. He already decided to betray Jesus. So, as they get into the upper room, as they go there, they walk through the through the, through the doors, and there's some towels and probably a basin of water for someone to start, start the task of washing feet. Any one of the disciples could have volunteered to wash the teacher's feet or their feet, but no one volunteered to do the job. After all, remember that there was a time when the disciples started to fight amongst them who was the greatest amongst them. They started to, to, to just say, you know, I'm the greatest and I'm the greatest. No, you're not. And yes, you are. And Jesus hears all this and he calls them. And we read in Mark 10, 43 and 44 that says, But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. And like, like I said, our culture, our culture is, asking, is, is just pushing us to, to take care of number one, to take care of us first. But Jesus changed the dynamic in John 13. Jesus showed us by example, not by words, but by actions, how to follow him and his example of love. Before I continue, let me ask you, what is the worst job you ever done in your life? Turn around and tell your, your, your neighbor right there. Tell them what was the worst job you have ever done. Mine? I'm going to tell you what was mine. Mine was uh, milking the cows. Actually, that was not too bad. 
Milking cows was not too bad. What followed was the worst job. I had to clean the stalls of the cows. It was nasty. I hated it. I gagged every time I did that. Have you seen the, the show, The Dirtiest Jobs? Or the, or the or, 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 yeah, The Dirtiest Jobs or The Worst Jobs? When I saw different videos of this uh, Dirtiest Jobs or whatever, in the disclaimer it said, it said this, this job, this jobs will hunt your dreams. <laughs> Let me mention a few of them. Some of them I don't even, I don't even know how to explain, but. Lift, lift pump waste plant. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. What goes into the, the CD sorter, right? This one was funny. And probably Terry Cruiser can explain this one to me. Fish squeezer. <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. This one was interesting. Mardi Gras bladder banger. Have you heard that one? Yeah. Medical waste. Another one was onion processor. Man, I'm cut an onion and I'm already crying. Can you imagine working there? And the last one that I saw, it was a bat biologist. It said that as I was watching this video, it showed that in Texas, they found a cave with four million bats. And as you walked in, well, just imagine the smell. And the ground was squishy. I'm going to leave that to your imagination. Why am I saying this to you? Well, let's see what is next in our verse. It says that Jesus shows the extent of his love by serving. John 13, 3 to 5, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothes, clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, there's a couple things in that verse that I want you to pay attention. The Father had put all things under his power. Here, John tells us the, tells the reader that Jesus is not acting as an ordinary man or ordinary person. He's acting as the Son of God to whom the entire kingdom has been giving. Did you catch that? This makes his sacrifice all the more profound. And then it says that he, he, that he had come from God. And John is very clear that Jesus came from God the Father and, the, and deserves the reign because all things has been given to him by the Creator. Jesus has always been with God since the beginning. Remember John 1, 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus knows his identity in God. Yet he will choose to die because God's, God's love for people. Actually, we all know this verse. Why don't you say it with me? John three sixteen. For God have loved the world so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. 
Jesus, the Son of God who didn't have to do this, gets up in a posture of servant, takes off his outside robe to demonstrate his susceptibility to his disciples. Which suggests that love requires a person to be susceptible. Jesus then ties a towel around his waist for wiping the disciples' feet and wash them. And this is an act that only slaves perform. See, it says in, in, in the commentary, it said that, that when the master of a wealthy household returned from a journey or a, a day labor, the slave will wash his feet. And people wore open-toed sandals at the first century, which will have made this an unpleasant task, a dirty job. This is a picture of how the feet might look like. That is nasty. <laughs> See, as the disciples are looking at Jesus putting the towel and taking the posture of a servant, still no one offered to take the task from him. Servanthood was not in their minds. And Jesus loved them knowing all about them, including the worst of them, Judas. Remember in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of what? Others. Of others. Max Lucado said, said this. Our actions are the result of our deepest thoughts. Our actions are the result of our deepest thoughts. You see, in this passage, the, 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 the writer, John, doesn't tell us who Jesus, who that Jesus started with. But impulsive Peter wants Jesus to stop doing what he's doing. Look right there in John 13, 6 to 9. It says that he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, the, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. See, here Peter used a double negative, refusing Jesus' act of service. In the Greek, a double negative indicates a strong and a passionate refusal. The thought of Jesus bowing down as a servant, as low as a servant, angered Peter. He was offended not only because he didn't think that Jesus should be doing that, that vile task, but because Peter himself was full of pride. Peter's pride was keeping him from seeing his desperate need of divine cleansing. And he started telling Jesus what to do and how to do it. And that makes me think something. Sometimes we act like Peter. 
and tell Jesus what to do and when and how to do things for us. We don't trust that he knows what is best for us. We want Jesus to serve us, but on our own terms. Here in this passage with Peter and the disciples, not only that Jesus model service, but represents the ultimate service, forgiveness of sins. And Jesus communicated to Peter that his one act was enough and worthy of Peter's trust. And I want to tell you today something. Jesus is enough for us as well. The cross is sufficient to wash our sins completely away. When we trust Jesus with our lives, we are made eternally righteous before a holy God. And I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing or anyone else that you need. You and I just need Jesus. Jump over there in verse 12 and 17. Jesus asked them if they understand. And he says, you call me teacher, Lord, and you are right because this is what I am. Now if I am your Lord and teacher and I was your feet, I show you by example how you should do as I have done to you. No servant is greater than his master. Not that you know you will be blessed if you do them. See, very important to understand is that Jesus did not institute the food washing. And I'm thankful that he didn't. Because I don't want to be washing feet. But he was directing an attitude. Jesus did not tell them to do what he had done, but as or similar to what he had done. What they were needing was not an ordinance, but simply to be one who was willing to do the things that everyone knew needed to be done, and everyone could have done, but nobody did because they were too interested in being served rather than to serve. You get that? They were more interested in themselves. And the same messages through Jesus' example is for us. A humble example of loving and self-sacrifice. Serve and forgiveness. And if we practice these things in church, in our community, serving others, in any area, in any place, we will be blessed. Maybe not the way that you want to, but the way that Jesus wants to. Jump over there in verse 34 and 35. It says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You remember in the Old Testament in Genesis and Exodus uh, 20, we are told that one of the commandments is to love our neighbors, right? But then in, math, in, uh, in the book of Mark, uh, they asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded in Mark 12, 30, and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command, commandment greater than these. But here in John, this command is new. Because Jesus gave it a new standard. 
Because Jesus said, as I have loved you. Jesus gave the example of love that they were to follow. But little did they know, the depth of love of love Jesus has for all of us, it was going to be demonstrated. And we have two other big examples of Jesus' love for people. And he shows us that that love knowing, and he shows us that love knowing what two of the disciples were going to do. And we see that no matter what we do in our life, Jesus loves us the same. You can finish reading this passage at home, but we know from the beginning of this passage that Judas made up his mind to betray Jesus. And let me talk to you about Judas and Peter. And from these two characters, we can see the extent of Jesus' love, no matter who you are, what you have done, or what you're going to do. Jesus loves you the same way. Jesus loves you the same, even though we are constantly breaking his heart when we disobey. We like to say here in New Life that Jesus cares more about where you're going than where you've been. The last part of this passage, we have Judas and Peter. And Jesus predicts Judas' betrayal and, and Peter's denial. You know what is shocking to me? Is that Jesus, knowing what was going to happen... Knowing what was going to happen, he still, he could have told Judas, you know what? You can go ahead and do what you need to do. But he didn't say anything until the end. He washed Judas' feet. And Judas ate dinner with him. Ate the meal. And it is shocking to me because Jesus allowed Judas to stay and he served him. See, Judas had totally he was able to repent and reconsider what he was going to do. These two men who had been disciples with Jesus during his ministry, they committed treason against him. In his darkest hour, they betrayed him. We recall that Jesus said, one of you will betray me. The disciples said among themselves, who is it, Lord? Is it I? And when Judas asked, is it I, Rabbi? Jesus said to him, you have said so. And we read that in Matthew 26, 25. And Jesus' final words to Judas were, what are you going to do? Do it quickly. There in John 13, 27. And he sent him out of his presence. And Judas, I see that there are people who trust in Jesus for a while. But when they think something better can come along, they tend to forget the goodness of the Lord. And these people chase their own interest. This kind of people won't take long to completely turn their backs to Jesus. Actually, it's like the parable of the, of the farmer. You remember in Matthew 13, 3 to 9, it says that a farmer planted a seed as the uh, as he scattered the seeds, some fell in the road and burst ate it. Some fell in the gravel and it sprouted quickly, but then put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds as it came up 
It was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond its wildest dreams. And you can read the, the, the meaning of this, of this parable in, in, there in Matthew 13. But, you know, I think it is talking about the different kinds of believers. Some of us are in different walks and stages. But it doesn't matter where you are. Jesus loves you the same. Jesus tells his disciples that he has, has to go. And they can follow him. But they will later. Right there in, uh, in John uh, 13, 37, 38 says, Peter, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I think Peter here represents the seed that fell into the weeds. Peter choked. When he was asked if he was uh, a Jesus follower, he denied Jesus. He got scared for his life. He got scared of what he was going to lose. And sometimes we're like this. We, we feel pressured by the culture, by our jobs, by our friends. And we choke like Peter. I thank God that, that Peter repented and he was reinstituted. But just like Peter, we have hope. We know Jesus and all that he has done for us. See, in those two instances with Judas and Peter, Jesus still loved them to the last minute. The outcome was different because one repented and the other one didn't. And you and I have the same opportunity. I read a story last week. While I was preparing for this sermon, it says that, that a mother found under the place, uh, uh, on the place one morning in breakfast a bill made out for, from his small son, Bradley, age eight. And he wrote this, mother owes Bradley for running errands, 25 cents. For being good, 10 cents. For taking music lessons, 15 cents. For extras, 5 cents. Total, 55 cents. The mother smiled but made, um, and made no comment. And at lunch, Bradley found the bill under his plate with 55 cents. And another piece of paper very neatly folded like the first one. As he opened it, he read, Bradley owes mother for nursing him through scarlet fever. Nothing. For being good to him, nothing. For clothes, shoes, and playthings, nothing. For his playroom, nothing. For his meal, nothing. Total, nothing. That story made me think that sometimes we give Jesus a bill for all that we do. And we expect a payment. We expect a blessing. If we are good to others, we want a blessing. If we volunteer at church, we deserve a blessing. If we read our Bibles, we deserve a blessing or a payment. And we present a bill to Jesus. And 
we say Jesus, you owe me this. But Jesus shows the full extent of his love. And he gave up his throne and became a servant. And Jesus says, you owe me nothing. We know Jesus came and suffered you and me. And Jesus said, you owe me nothing. Jesus took our sins from as far as east is from the west. And Jesus tells you, you owe me nothing. And Jesus tells you, I will continue to love you no matter what. And you owe me nothing. He truly is the master servant who shows us love every day. And he wants us to follow his example and be servant leaders, showing Jesus' love to everyone, even the unlovable.